Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets magic number for locking in their playoff seed is down to two. Who to have remaining on their schedule? Where can the Miami Heat stumble? And how important has it been that this iteration of the team achieves the playoff berth? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR, for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the way to the playoffs on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day free on all those great platforms and Doug. It's an interesting time, man. Came off the last game there where it felt like they had checked the Brooklyn Nets every single one of the important boxes for the first three and a half quarters against the Utah Jazz. But at the end of the day, as I said in the post game, a win is a win. And we won't look back at the calendar and wonder what happened there late. Nets get that win and now see themselves just two games, their wins or Miami losses, away from officially locking up a playoff seed and avoiding the plan. Yeah, it's getting close now. Uh, they've had a nice little run here. The game, having to sweat the Utah game out, um, like you said, the only thing that matters is the W or the L. And even though that one did, had me say more than a few times, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> but <laughs> but here we are. And it's it's frankly a cool spot. It was a little unclear when about two weeks ago how much the Nets would control their own fate, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was hard to get a read on the team. It was hard to know exactly what the – really frankly what the floor or the ceiling was for this team right like we saw a lot of different versions of this team that some looked really really good and some looked not so great so to be in a situation here uh we're recording this april 3rd where the nets do definitely control their own fate where it's very much a realistic thing that they are i mean 538 raptor model has them at more than 99 percent to make the playoffs right now and they just have to take care of business in a relatively easy schedule. Things are set up very, very nicely for them to, frankly, and I can't even believe this, go into the maybe the final few games somewhat stress-free. The famous last words on this stuff with the Nets. <laughs> but, like, that is, we are looking at a scenario setting up to possibly that be the case. Yeah, Brooklyn sits in the sixth seed right now, two games up over the Miami Heat and a full, I'm only going to mention them, four games up over the Atlanta Hawks because I think something in the moment of that blowout over Atlanta that we didn't do enough service was, hey, you kicked Atlanta away from even sniffing that possibility, right? Because you're always looking at the teams ahead of you by a standing or two and then below. Atlanta hasn't played particularly strong basketball consistently. So now it is. It's just the Miami Heat. You also got that critical win when you went head-to-head. And that magic number of two, it's not the Brooklyn Nets needing to win two more games. It's if Miami loses, that counts as one. So it's funny when you mention getting down to me the last handful of games, a couple of games, and saying it doesn't matter. Like Brooklyn's locked into the sixth seed. They'll wait to see what happens and where their matchup will be. But they can actually not have to press. And by the way, Ironically enough, remember what they had to do in years past with Kevin Durant on this roster, pushing all the way until the final game of the season and into the play-in tournament and having to go max minutes. They've had to run their core guys here a lot of minutes of late. 
But if you can steal a game or two at the end of the year where you don't have to max them out, that actually can help you at least go in with whatever the strongest possible footing it'll be in that first round matchup. Yeah, that's a great reminder because it's it's easy to forget now that the Nets essentially had to run the table last year to make the pl- to to keep the playing in their favor, right? Yes. To make sure they had a home game for the playing, they had to win the final four games of the season. They did. They they rolled through Houston, New York, Cleveland, Indiana. Um, a couple of those games were closer than what you would have wanted them to be, and then they had to go into the playing game. The Nets are set up into a situation now. It's funny they're set up into this situation essentially based on the work Kevin Durant did earlier in the season. I, I do not think that this, <laughs> I don't think this current team um, having, if they were played out the whole season again with just this group would be in this playing situation. I, I think they would be considerably lower. Um, it's not a knock. It's just that, the, you know, remember we're not too many months away from the Nets being like almost championship favorites. They, there has been a dip down in talent. Like that's not a hot take. So they are still, to some degree, because this is what they wanted, benefiting from the work Durant and company and Kyrie too, because Kyrie was excellent on times mm-hmm. that he was on the court for the Nets. Um, like they're benefiting from the work those guys did earlier in the season. Now they want it out, right? So that, but, and so they are, you know, they're not going to give back wins because they left the team. But it is funny just to compare it, like you said, the last season, which was a real, real nail biting situation. I, like we, it was because Durant yeah. was coming back from the injury. They had dug themselves a huge hole. Like they, it was just a totally different feel. Now it's like, Hey, one win by the nets and one loss by the heat. And this thing's a wrap. <laughs> right. And like, and that's, that's, that's totally doable. Yeah. You know, and it's funny too. I think on the back end of this episode, we can talk, or maybe even come up in the second segment, we can talk about what is this from an accomplishment standpoint? You said it. We know that this is a, team that has struggled in terms of their record they're below 500 since the trade that's just a reality but they've won critical games against some of the best teams in the conference they've won critical games against the closest teams to them in the standings so there are these like symbolic check marks that you're getting here and and i i I don't know what our expectations will be ultimately when it comes to the playoffs we've talked about it before but i think the mere fact that maybe it is called maybe it's treading water right you've treaded water here because you are below 500 but the mere fact that you're now at a place where you in conjunction with every other eastern conference team are still in a position to be secured in your playoff seating before the season officially comes to an end it is an accomplishment to go along with some of the individual things we're seeing from mikhail bridges from spencer dinwiddie and even more recently cam johnson (laughs) I, i can't believe i'm saying it dorian finney smith having some rebound games for himself too, right? So there's a lot of really positive things that are being checked here to go along with this six seed. All right, we'll get into more what to expect down the stretch here for the Nets. Talk about some old friends uh, elsewhere in the league that we mentioned a little bit and where those teams are sitting right now as they enter the postseason or in one case, possibly not. We'll get to all that in a second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at Game Time. Game time GameTime.co or the game time app. Look at buying tickets these days. It should not be stressful. It should be easy. You should be able to go to any game, you know, concert, comedy show, theater near you. This should be a very easy experience and great news with game time. It is. If you go to game time right now on the app or at gametime.co, uh, you can get Minnesota at the nets. Maybe you want to see, maybe there's a chance they just clinched the playoffs Orlando magic at the nets, 35 bucks over there on the game time app. Even looking ahead game time. I like the bullishness of game time right now. 
Nets playoff tickets available right now. TBD, TBD, but they're available over at game time. Just some of the selection you're going to get in the New York area when it comes to game time. Uh, Flash deals, last minute tickets, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. You're going to get images of the seat views, lowest price guaranteed, event cancellation, no worries there with the Nets protection, job loss protection, et cetera. It's all there with game time. Forget planning months in advance. Game time is deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You get those flash deals, football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code locked on MBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Oh, baby. Maybe myself locked into an Orlando uh, situation here coming up. I mean, it would be, it could be seeing me there live in person. I'll keep you posted on that. I like to be, I like to feel like I'm the lucky charm that secures this for the Brooklyn Nets after all of their efforts. Now, the other thing to mention here is what the schedules look like for both the Brooklyn Nets and for the Miami Heat down the stretch of this season and whether or not we think that two-game magic number is achievable in short order or not. When we talk about Brooklyn obviously coming off of the win over the Utah Jazz, they're going to have the Minnesota Timberwolves coming up here on Tuesday night. That's the first and foremost. And then some other games that will probably happen here, Doug, but I can't tell everybody about them because – my internet is crashing in behind me. So Doug will go ahead and let you know the other games that they play as we continue to get through this one. Um, they have uh, Orlando coming up here late in the season as well. What's the official lineup there for them? Yeah, okay. So it's a pretty soft landing here for the Nets outside of this next game. They are play- facing off against Minnesota. Minnesota is in their own locked into their own situation where they definitely um, want to keep winning. So at this time of the year, it's never – amazing to see <laughs> to see teams in the schedule that are interested in, in going out and grabbing wins. Minnesota's the ninth seed in the Western Conference, a game below 500. It looks like they are going to probably lock themselves in the play-in game, but they are definitely turning something of a quarter. You thought they were turning something of a quarter with Towns back, but then lost three in a row. They are going to be extra motivated. The next game against Minnesota um, could be a tough one. Uh, luckily it's at home. Then they're going to go, but the next two after that is really probably where they should, the Nets should definitely lock it up. Like they go to Detroit. We know where Detroit's motivations are. They're going to go to Orlando. I know Orlando, or excuse me, Orlando's going to come to Brooklyn. Orlando did give them trouble, you know, not too many games ago with the loss back on, uh, two Sundays ago. But again, the Nets are in a situation where the motive, the motivations alone, should kind of tell the whole story of what's going to happen here. And then the final game of the season for the Nets is against Philly. I really think that game for Philly is going to be a total nothing. Like right, even right now, Philly, I don't think has a ton to play for. They're probably just trying to fend off Cleveland out of the four seed, a win or two before that is going to basically probably lock them into the three seed. Hopefully that is decided prior to the Nets game. And the Philly goes into that game with just really no motivation. I, if I, as a, as a betting person here, my money would be on that Philly Brooklyn game. Doesn't mean anything for anybody. <laughs> like that's where I, <laughs> right. that's, that's actually where I think it's going to be, but there's a world where it might mean a little bit more for the nets. And I think that situation could help if Philly is kind of just completely locked in and can't really move it up and down anymore. So Really, you can't ask for much of a better situation. I'll get to the heat in a second, but you really Mm -hmm. can't ask for a much better situation for the Nets going into these final four games. 
No, it's yeah, plenty of soft landing spots. Maybe a meaningless game against Philadelphia. Um, I, I, you know, it would make me happy if they come out on Tuesday night and get a win against Minnesota in the old, hey, playing a team that has something to play for and you still go get that victory. But by and large, it's going to be, first of all, hard for me to see anything changing in the standings. I think the sixth seed is where they're going to land here. How soon they get it done is going to be more interesting um, than not for me. And, and you mentioned Miami on the other side of it. Three straight home games. They beat Dallas. We'll touch on that here in our closing segment. Um, But they have three straight road games before their final uh, game of the season at home against the Orlando Magic. But the lead-up is the Detroit Pistons. You'd assume if Miami's worth their weight, they're going to get that win. Then actually the 76ers, who do they or do they not have something to play for two games versus four games from now. And then the Washington Wizards, who they had taken care of the last time that they had met. It's interesting. Do you think that this... You said that the Nets won't have to worry about necessarily playing in the final game of the season against Philadelphia. Meaningless game for both sides. But all Miami has to do is beat Detroit and then see about that 76ers game. If they get that one, then this will effectively come down to the wire. Where is your faith level on Miami? Because, you know, beyond the Nets beating them, Miami has not, not been a terribly consistent team down the stretch of the season where we kind of assume, watch out, Miami, you know, that's what they're built for, the playoffs. It does feel like they are approaching a retool as opposed to this surge into the playoff picture. I mean, they might be approaching a retool, but they're not going to look at it this season. I, I do yeah. think that the – look, I, I could very easily see the Heat winning the, their next four games. It doesn't really concern me too much because the Nets have that buffer, right? Mm-hmm. Like two out of the next three, let's say, and it's over. Like no, having the buffer, I think actually in all likelihood – my guess is something like Miami just Miami runs the table here. Like they have a schedule set up to basically run the table. Maybe you think Philly has one last gasp at a seeding thing here on Thursday. And that might really line up to help the nets. Like where Philly could basically see that as like the final game of deciding where they are in seeding. Right. And, and after that, they're not going to possibly be able to move. I think like, that's probably the one hope here. Uh, for the Nets to make it a little bit easier, right? Just because, like, remember, when you say a magic number for a game, it's either magic number your wins or Miami losses, right? Yes. Like, my the magic number could just be two Miami losses and this thing's over. And so um, I think from that standpoint, you know, we're definitely we're definitely scoreboard watching Miami from here on out. We have been doing that. We have been doing that. I mean, if you've been listening to the podcast or just like into this at all, you know that we've been – very much on the idea of like, hey, let's make sure we're rooting against Miami here. Not like rooting, you know, turns the tables of any result. But um, so, but I think that like, if my guess is they run the table, and it still doesn't matter because Nets take two of these next three or right. four games, and and okay. and and it, we kind of settle this thing. And the other, so the other side of it too, just to give, if we are standing watching here, Philadelphia in the three seats, three back of Boston, really to me, what they're fighting against here is the the Cleveland Cavaliers who are two and a half games behind them. And so same scenario, every game that Cleveland loses is one more game that Philadelphia has to stop worrying about trying. They're not going to catch Boston. Like, let's just, I'm going to keep that plain. They're not going to catch them. I think it's just about maintaining the three seed and not risking that, which seems pretty unlikely with two and a half games. So to your point, like, I don't know. We, I don't know when Philly's going to push the we're all set here button, but it could be as soon as one game away for all intents and purposes, at which point it's just a matter of formalities going through it. The other thing, that I wanted to touch on here when it comes to the the Brooklyn Nets is before we get into something that I wondered if if fans maybe missed after the trade deadline and what the Brooklyn Nets are accomplishing 
and that overarching theme that we've had about this season and then beyond. What does this mean to you that the Brooklyn Nets get the sixth seed, that they don't have to sweat it to the wire? Is this something that you look at as being a real accomplishment, understanding they're going to finish this run after the deadline under 500 since the trade? Do you look at it as something that they can say, look what we did? Or is it, I don't want to take the wind out of it, but going through the motions of we had some stockpiled wins and we're the sixth seed, so be it. Uh, yeah, I think it's something of accomplishment. I think that like it was pretty clear right away what their what their motivations were. They wanted to get into the playoffs. They wanted to, you know, probably do right by some of these fans that like bought season tickets and had an idea that Durant and Kyrie were going to be on the team and they were going to see this through. I think that is a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you walked in, you sold everyone a bill of goods on this thing happening to start the season. It didn't work out that way. Um, there is probably something to be said for seeing it all the way through. It was going to be hard for them just mathematically to dip far enough to really like, it was just going to be always be tough with We've said this many times. It was going to be tough with this particular group of guys to dip far enough to get all the way out of the playoffs. It was going to have to, they were going to have to just really do some crazy stuff. Cause remember it hasn't, like you said, it's not like it's been all great here. They've been under 500 since the trade. And they're still in the sixth seed, <laughs> like right. So it's just it would have had to be have been so bad, and probably maybe just doing some damage with your fan base or whatever. So does it mean a lot? I, I think it's. I think I'm. I like the way they've played. I do like the way they've tried. I think based on their current um, roster, it was very obvious that this is what they were going to try to do, and you're get probably going to end up getting maybe quasi valuable playoff experience for some of these guys, like specifically bridges as a one, you know, Mm -hmm. and guys like this in situations. Uh, So I think there are things to be said for this. I think you always have to contextualize it where they were at the trade deadline. They had a lot of wins (laughs) like they just did. And some of these teams did not have that many wins. And so that was always just going to be a very weird thing to fully punt. Like if you watch some of these teams, how they punt, it's gross. I like, go watch Go, go, go back. And right now, if you're listening to this, go back and look who's played with the for the Blazers like for the last three games. It's it's a total joke. Like Skylar Mays got signed off the street and started. Like, is that what you want as a fan? I, I would contend no. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, like, I, I just think that from the, from that context, to me, I think it's not like a rah rah accomplishment, but it's obvious to me why they did this, and I think it was the correct decision. Coming up here in a second, we'll take a look at the the beyond the season intention for this organization and maybe a key contract note that Brooklyn Nets fans may not have realized will be at Sean Mark's disposal after the Nets upset the 76ers in the first round of the playoffs. All right, before we get to that, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and we're always changing. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are now. Um, It's been helpful to learn positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, how you can empower yourself to be the best version of yourself. And it's not just for people out there that have experienced major trauma. We all could take a deeper look inside. If you're starting to think about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on MBA. Okay, 
So the Nets are going to be closing out their season, securing the sixth seed, and trying to make some noise against the 76ers, as we assume, in the first round of the playoffs. But there was what I'll call housekeeping kind of note here, because after the Nets made the big trades of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, we kind of said, okay, great, the dust is settled. We have Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and a bunch of picks in the year 2067. Let's get back into the rest of this season. And I, I don't know if we ever tapped back into this on the podcast. And if so, it just it's bare reiterating because our recent conversations have been around what the Nets can do in the offseason. We just had that discussion. Well, it's another year away. You still have Ben Simmons money. What's going to happen with Dinwiddie next season? All of those things, the contract for Cam Johnson. But if you recall, at the time that the Brooklyn Nets were making their deals, there was a pass, pass through, excuse me, trade that sent Jay Crowder to the Milwaukee Bucks. It was reported at the time for five second round picks because second round picks were hanging off of trees apparently in the NBA. They ended up though rolling that over and turning it into a four team deal that included the Suns, included the Pacers, and also included the Bucks. And the big result of all of this is, and why I bring it up, is that they got Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. They got the picks later and the pick swap for Kevin Durant. But what they also accomplished in picking up cash considerations going to the Pacers, instead of doing solo independent deals, which would have resulted in a 7.9 trade exception through all of that process, they actually bundled it up. Sean Marks did a pretty shrewd GM move here and got the Brooklyn Nets an $18.1 million trade exception through that process. They also added in a $5 million one on the Kyrie Irving deal. On its surface, man, when we're having these conversations around what the team's going to be able to accomplish, having what effectively becomes, compared to your cap, free money to spend, that's a significantly larger amount and a significantly different tier of player that the Brooklyn Nets could potentially go target. Does that move the needle for you as much as it did when I first read it? Because I was kind of like, hey, now, like you're, you're talking about adding a potentially significant player that you otherwise wouldn't be able to accomplish without figuring out Joe Harris, without figuring out maybe Spencer Dinwiddie and other components, Ben Simmons being the largest. Yeah, I'm always a little wary of the trade exception. I always feel like the trade exception is like a cool way for teams to report something and then like they very rarely get used. <laughs> so like I, I, I'm always and a little skeptical. Some burn out over the last few seasons as well. They've, they've come and gone. Now they weren't as significant, yeah. but but numbers have gone by the wayside for them. Maybe that's kind of partly where I am is like, uh, you know, sometimes these trade exceptions, uh, they sound really cool at the time because you dream about the player you could bring in for 18 million, but then like, it just doesn't ever work out that way. Maybe I'm just sure. burned on too many situations like that. I do think it was smart to get the number as high as possible. Like that part, that part makes a lot of sense to me. And there are worlds like the nets do have some assets now. So being able to pile together some assets and not have to have the money be, you know, a hundred percent perfect does that, that could there's a world where that could work out i'm just always like a little skeptical about the trade exception because i feel like i just feel it's like this, it's almost like a pick swap kind of thing it's like always sounds a little better <laughs> than like the reality of the situation actually is when it actually gets put into practice or like with trade exceptions doesn't necessarily get put into practice so uh, that's kind of where i stand although you did mention this Kyrie, the Kyrie irving part of the trade I, like yeah i guess we can close out on this i have you? <laughs> we both been watching this. Like the Dallas situation is fascinating. I fascinating. Now I look. I don't know if you're like me. I really actually don't actively root against guys because I 
just think it's kind of bad juju and mojo. And I just don't really like, it's just a negative thing. I I don't really, it's not fun to root against anything. I like rooting for stuff, (laughs) right? Like, but I don't really, unless it's like got a direct, like this Miami thing, I'm rooting against Miami because that's just the way it is. The Kyrie thing. I get why it's easy. And he, people are taking absolute victory laps on what's happening with Dallas, but like, in a million years, did you ever think this Dallas situation was going to play out with Kyrie? Like they're going to, there's talk as of this podcast, there's talk. They're going to shut Luca and Kyrie down for the rest of the season. They probably should like Dallas is basically out of it. Like yeah. in a million years, did you think that this was going to be what happened when he got traded from the Nets? No, obviously not. Now what's fascinating about it is you, uh, Nick Angstad for locked on mass talked about this a lot of the time. We did a crossover with him where it was like, the move that where you give up Spencer Dinwiddie and you give up Dorian Finney-Smith and picks, and the picks thing is kind of, that's down the road. But when you gave it up to get Kyrie, it was like, and then what's the other thing that you're going to go do? How are you going to continue to go improve this team six, uh, significantly at this deadline? And the Mavs didn't really accomplish that. So you you kind of put it the framework in place to be like, well, this is going to be all or nothing on Kyrie and Luka being successful. We thought it would be one of the most dominant backcourts in the NBA. And, and frankly, for small sample sizes, it has been. Um, and again, I don't, root against, I don't root against Kyrie Irving to be bad or to play bad for his teams to be bad. I do find it interesting to kind of watch what happens with Dallas now. Like you said, are they going to shut them both down for the rest of the year? I mean, that is about as far from, remember just a year ago for Dallas, they made a surprise run in the playoffs, and now they're talking about dumpstering themselves at the end of the year with a player in Kyrie, regardless of what you think about him. He's not playing for Dallas next year. This is 100% a half-season rental, and, and this is like a rental that is lit on fire when they hand it to you, I guess. Like, he's moving on. He's going somewhere else. So now the Mavericks have are going to have an absent spot next to Luka, they're not going to have a Spencer Dinwiddie. They're not going to have a veteran Dorian Finney-Smith. Like this team and franchise now has to reconfigure itself and reconvince Luca that they're viable long term. It is fascinating how quickly things have turned for them, and I don't think it's solely just on the presence of Kyrie Irving. Yeah, no, I actually don't think it's actually even Kyrie's fault. Like I think that he's right. one. I mean, he's been injured a little bit, and he's played pretty well. I thought. I mean, they had a fascinating sequence during the game last night where they were it was it was a tie excuse me they were down two against the hawks the down two was a tie um and they have you have luca it was just like it was like this perfect encapsulation of what's going wrong with this team because they have they have luca and Kyrie on the court like two of the best like individual scorers like in all the nba and their final shot ends up being a christian wood it's christian wood on a closeout who barrels his way to the rim and basically it was an offensive foul on him and he got called for he got he got two shots but i was like how on earth to these two, you have these two guys, and this is like your final shot of your game. Like when you have like two of the best scores in the NBA, and I was like, oh right, because everything's going wrong for this team. It's like yeah. it's it's just, it's it's been such a tire fire, um, and I think there's lots of different reasons. It's I'm, again, I'm not even. It's easy to blame Kyrie for this. I actually don't think it's him, right? Like I don't think by the way he's played, it's him. But man, I gotta tell you, I know there's Nets folks that are doing victory laps on this thing, and. I don't know, 2029 Mavs first round unprotected pick. Uh, like that's a long way away, but I, I, the, the things are starting to happen. Yes. <laughs> where like, where now, that's what future... I can root for. What I can root for yes. is those picks becoming that much more valuable because something doesn't work out in Dallas, right? I don't need to be against the individuals to be pro the results, which is this team maybe falling off a cliff as a franchise. They're a game back from the 10th seed. Three games to go. Sacramento. Uh, they They're have the Bulls the there as well. 
and they're they're yeah. done. Yeah, and they're and they're, yeah, they're, they're they're cooked effectively here. Um, but by the way, as the cherry on top to all of that, uh, Christian Wood was supposed to be gone. Like he was supposed to be one of the guys that got rid of at the deadline, and it's almost so it's almost this <laughs> this uh, symbolic you know measure where you get Kyrie Irving, you still have Luca, and in the closing sequences, it's Christian Wood barreling towards the basket. So it'll be fascinating to watch, man, what happens this off season, obviously, and going forward for a guy like Luca. You are a superstar, and you're now going to miss the playoffs for reasons that are not typical for a player of your caliber. Yeah, and we'll get out of here. But just on the flip side, I did watch the uh, second half of the Phoenix OKC game, and old friend Kevin Durant was like, "Oh yeah, that's why he got traded for all the stuff, and he's the best because he just he completely daggered OKC two wide open corner threes, and then above the break three, and that was basically the end of the game. And you're like, oh yeah, he's still the best. He he got hurt for a while, and he sat out for a little bit, and then he's been been back for 30 seconds, and he dropped 35 on you know 13 for 21 shooting, and it looked super easy. And I was like. Man, Phoenix—they could win it all. They—they they looked, uh, they looked really damn yep. good. Anyway, so just a funny, funny little quick catch up on some old friends uh, in new places and how those the the tale of the cities has, or the tale of the players and the superstars has gone completely different directions. Okay, we are going to get out of here. We will be back following the Minnesota game to see if the Nets climbed one uh, game closer, hopefully to the playoffs. Uh, we'll be coming to you live on YouTube after that, so make sure you subscribe over to Locked On Nets over on YouTube. My quote is uh, from yours truly. Just, just get together because this was not what you call an A-plus performance from yours truly. But you battle, you fight, you claw your way to the top of the mountain like we did getting this episode done. Oh, buddy, you're one of the all-time greats. It all happened off air, so don't worry about it. Okay, we'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.